It's season four of Soulful Connections. I'm Amanda Solar, host and creator of this podcast. Join in as I get to connect with people who are living their most meaningful and intentional and authentic lives. Listen in and let's connect. Connection. Okay, so I have stalked Len Heflick. That's why he's on today, because of my stalking tendencies. Len, let me explain what happened. Um, so my husband, we were talking about longevity. And I was like, well, you have to do this and you have to do this. And if you want to live long, you have to do this. And I said, you know what? I, I was just, I had worked at the chamber and I had this box that I hadn't unpacked since I left. And I thought... As we're talking, I'm unpacking the box. To, and I said, oh, here you go. Live as long as you dare by Leonard Heflick. Did I say your name right, by the way? You did. Okay. So I gave him this book and I said, listen, I'm even going to start reading it to you. And I start reading it and I said, oh my gosh, I love this book and I'm taking it over. <laughs> <laughs> and I took it away. And then... um I remember that I had met with you one time when I was with the chamber and I thought I'm reaching out. I think I had reached out before, but this time I kind of begged, please come on the podcast because it was different than what I expected. When I opened the book, you know, I had this expectation. It was just going to mirror these pragmatic things that I was saying. Mm -hmm. And when I, when I started reading, I thought, oh, this is really deeper and more powerful. And I loved it. So that's how this all came to be. And I appreciate you and I appreciate um, the book. Can you kind of just discuss, first of all, what does the title mean? Live as long as you dare. Well, what it means is if you, if you want to live longer and healthier, <clears throat> You have to dare to do so. You have to do something, obviously. And you have to set a goal. And uh, what I tried to do in the book is, is break that big, ugly problem down into little pieces. What I've noticed, and one of the motivations for me to write the book, was looking around at my friends and family and seeing how unhealthy they were, uh, not knowing really how to exercise or eat or even think about their health. And what I, after I started digging into it, what I, what I found is that most of us, you know, are at a certain level of, of health and we're, you know, we're either happy or not happy. <clears throat> and if we have a goal and I ask you, well, where would you like to be in three years? Well, I'd like to be here. You know, that's a pretty big jump. In fact, too big a jump to make. So people give up. Because they say, well, yeah, it'd be nice to be, you know, up there and do those things, but uh, it's too much. I'm not going to do it. So the trick to success here is to break it up into tiny little pieces. 
and make those little pieces part of your lifestyle. In other words, not a change that you make for a week or a month or six months, like a fad diet, <clears throat> which many people do, and they all fail, by the way, because <laughs> right. we, don't, we don't stick to them. Uh, and why don't we stick to them? Well, because in many cases, they don't fit our lifestyle, uh, our culture, our families. Uh, they're burdensome and difficult. Well, if it's going to be burdensome and difficult, you're not going to do it. <laughs> right. So the trick is to find these little lifestyle changes that you can incorporate into your life every day for the rest of your life. And those little changes have to be, I wouldn't say fun, but at least manageable, doable, reasonable. And that's what I do in the book. I, I actually give the people 101 suggestions and then challenge them to come up with 101 more. And I want you to make it a game. Games make it fun. So if it's not fun, we won't do it. So let's make it fun. And the way you can make it fun is you say, well, you know, I'm going to look around and I'm going to find one little change I can make in my lifestyle this week. Make one every week. Okay. Oh, nice. It's really not onerous. It's pretty easy to do. And once you get going and you make a game of it, it becomes fun. And after a year, if you've kept to that, you've made 50 little changes. Now, one of those changes isn't going to make any difference in your lifestyle or your longevity or your health. Okay, so I start taking vitamin C because I wasn't taking it before. All right, there's one change. Is that going to save your life? Mm, probably not. It may help a little bit. But after you've made 50 of these little changes in a year and you've kind of gotten on the program and you've gotten used to it and you that becomes part of your lifestyle, in a couple of years, you've made hundreds of little changes. You're a different person, literally. Your behavior is different. Your health will be different. Your attitude will be different. And you're going to see real significant changes. That's the key. That's the goal. Yeah. And you know, it's, you, you said it's fun and it's easy and it's interesting, but you also manage to me to make it meaningful. There's something about the way you write, which I think makes your book different from other books too, because you really do seem to find the meaning in all of this. Well, I've read lots and lots of books on longevity and health and nutrition and so on, uh, exercise uh, over the past years. And I've read a lot uh, as research for this book. And I got to tell you, I was underwhelmed by most of them. Uh, in fact, all of them. Uh, most of them focus on one topic, so there's a really good book out there called The Miracle of, of uh, Magnesium. Okay, yes, taking magnesium is real good for you. Again, is it going to save your life? Eh, probably not. Uh, doesn't mean you shouldn't take it. Yes, take it. But, I mean, basically what this book did was, was explain every problem you can imagine in your health and link it to magnesium. All right, well, that means magnesium is important. I get the point. Right. <laughs> However, <laughs> I, I need to read a hundred books like that on a hundred different topics and then put all the right. pieces together. People don't have the time or the, you know, will to do that. So they won't sure. do it. So that's why I did it. And I, I researched it and tried to find, you know, as many of these little changes that we can make uh, and then explain them 
So it's not just, hey, take magnesium. Right. Uh, it's good for you. No, here's why it's good for you. And here's how it's going to change your life, life and longevity and so on. So I try to explain it. And uh, I don't, you know, some people have complained about my writing as being dense. Uh, I don't use a lot of words. I try to say things as as concisely and precisely as I can. Uh, you know, I'm a scientist, so I guess that's the way I think. Uh, so I don't use a lot of stories. I don't gab a lot. Uh, there's not a lot of fluff in my books. Uh, yeah, but you know, I'm so not scientific, Len, and I didn't find it that way. I found it direct and understandable and insightful and interesting. And I'm pretty, um, you know, if it is too scientific and I like to understand the science behind something but you do a great job of explaining that. I don't like it when somebody just tells me something mm -hmm. and I'm supposed to just take their word for it. Yep. <laughs> so I like that you provide background, but you have a lovely uh, prose. I really liked the actual writing. You said you're a reader and that, you know, I think readers can sometimes make the best writers. So have you always been interested in health in longevity is this something that you've always been interested in for a long time yeah well i spent my career in the food industry uh you know worked a lot on uh, nutrition and diet and and, uh, and health uh the impact of food and and such on health and of course i have an interest uh, uh a selfish interest <laughs> uh i've been going to a longevity doctor uh since 2006 so wow. that's a bunch of years. And I made some pretty significant changes in my own uh, life based on, uh, you know, their assessment and their guidance. Uh, it was it was a life changing experience. Uh, like most people, I was a little bit overweight, but I'm, I'm six foot four. So I carry it really well, meaning I don't look mm -hmm. fat. Right. All right. Uh, but anyway, what I did over the next year after I started that program uh, is I lost uh, 25 pounds. Oh, no, I'm sorry. I lost 15 pounds, okay, which is not a terrific amount. So I went from like 225 down to 210. Okay. Uh, but I was exercising more and, and more effectively and changed my diet a bit to reduce uh, caloric intake and such. Uh, I dropped 25 pounds of fat and I'm sorry, I dropped 40 pounds of fat and added 15 pounds or 25 pounds of muscle. Wow. That's a huge change. That's, that's incredible. That's incredible. Now, if you looked at me, you probably wouldn't know it, but I, right. I, after I did it, I was leaner, meaner, much stronger, uh, and, and much healthier. Uh, probably felt better. And felt better, yes. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm 70 years old now. I've been doing this for uh, 15 years since I was, uh, you know, uh, uh, 55 or so. And uh, I can probably outwork anybody I know. <laughs> That's phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah, you've I got that energy. Uh, yeah, my son and my son-in-law, I, I can outwork them anytime. I mean, they're, yeah. you know, 40, 41 and uh, 35. Uh, they're amazed at what I can do. And, uh, and I'm going to continue that. That's that's my goal is is do what I can to maintain that because, you know, it. part of living longer and healthier, and I even mentioned in the title, 
I don't want to live longer if I'm going to be, you know, debilitated. That's not fun. Okay. It's not worth it. Uh, If I'm going to work hard uh, or do anything at all to live longer, it's got to be healthier. So I've got to be able to do what I want to do and, uh, you know, and maintain that. And it can be done. Len, can you go back? I, can you tell me about your childhood? How did you grow up? Did you grow up around here or in Bucks County? Where are you from? Grew up in Bergen County, New Jersey. <laughs> uh, I've I've always been uh, a hard worker and a reader. Uh, in grammar school, I read every book in the library, which wow. you know, probably had, I don't know, 500 books, but I pretty much read every one. I went to high school. I started doing the same thing. They had many more books than that. So I never did finish all of them. But I, again, I used to make it a game, make it fun. So I would go to the library, pick up, walk around, try and find something I knew nothing about. Take that book home, read it. And then because it's a library book, you got to bring it back in a month or two weeks. I forget what it was. And when I go back, I pick up another couple. And I kept doing that for years and years. And, uh, you know, it, 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 I made it fun. I made it a game. Where did that come from? Do you come from readers? Where did that curiosity come from? Did your mom and dad say, oh, keep reading. That's the way to go. <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I'm the first person in my family to go to college. Uh, my sister eventually graduated, but I was, I'm 15 years older than her. Uh, I don't know where that drive came from exactly, but I've always kind of had it. I mean, I mean, I always knew I wanted to be a chemist. I always knew I wanted to be an inventor. Uh, It wasn't too much later that I decided to start writing. Uh, But I I started writing uh, my first book uh, uh, 30 years ago. Uh, And it took me 25 years to write it. Uh, And it was based on uh, observation. And and my, my first book is called Balanced Leadership. It's on how to be a better, more effective leader. And kind of with, uh, you know, live as long as you dare, what I noticed is that uh, leaders were not very successful in many cases, or some leaders were very successful, others were not. Uh, And sometimes they took a a successful leader, moved them into a different position, a different location, a different job, a different plant, and they failed. Mm. That caught my attention. It's like, how can that be? This guy was great. Well, this guy was really great. And then they moved him or her. And all of a sudden, they failed. Yes. Literally, I mean, crashed and burned. Uh, I, I was shocked. And it, and that kind of, you know, gave me a, a smack in the head and said, hey, maybe you better try and figure this out. <laughs> so do you have like one tip if you had to? I know that you can't boil a book down to one tip, but is there like a leadership secret or tip that you could share that you learned that we oh well there's lots of them but uh the i think the the uh, the title of the book says it all balanced leadership uh if you want to be a good leader you have to do so in balance and every situation that you're in requires a different balance and sometimes it changes i i equate it to or uh, uh say it's it's kind of like riding a bicycle when you're riding a bicycle, two-wheeler, uh, there's going to be curves and bumps. Uh, and you don't always see them until you get there. Uh, 
uh, your balance is dynamic, meaning you can't just sit still or you'll fall. So you have to constantly readjust your balance to stay in balance. And it's exactly the same with a leader because everything changes. Whatever worked yesterday is not going to work today. And you have to be smart enough and astute enough and flexible enough uh, to figure that out and then do it. Now, uh, I say everything in balance. So uh, flexibility is a very good thing, a good, uh, you know, uh, uh, feature. However, too much flexibility could be very bad. Meaning yes. if you're if you're wishy-washy and no one knows where you're coming from and you're constantly changing and never have an agenda or anything that people can, you know, uh, and no consistency, well, that could be really bad too. Yeah. So again, the balance. So don't be over flexible, be properly flexible and then change it as you need to. It's, it's pretty cool. I, I really enjoyed writing that book. I'm, I'm very proud of it. There's nothing like it out there. Uh, and I'd say live as long as you dare is the same. There's, there's nothing like it. And I've read lots and lots of books, like I say, and uh, they're not, they're not the same. I love it. it. So Len, I want to step back for a second because this is, I've never heard this in all of my conversations. You said you always wanted to be a chemist. <laughs> That's the first time somebody ever said that to me. What was that about? I never heard somebody who always wanted to be a chemist. I was always attracted to science. And I, I can remember even like 10 years old. Uh, I wasn't really sure I wanted to be a chemist, but I knew I wanted to be a scientist. So and work interesting. In, yeah, I actually, I, I remember somebody asking me that question when I was like 12. And I said, oh, I want to be an electrochemist. I don't even think I know what an electrochemist was. <laughs> Yes, but I guess that curiosity, <laughs> that same curiosity that mm. read all of those books, because, you know, I was an avid reader, but I had my section. You know what I mean? That's most uh -huh. of us when we read. We don't want to read all the books in the library. We want to read this section and that section. And that's really unusual that you kind of said, no, I want to read, you know, all of it. Mm -hmm. I go to the other side of the library and find a book I could I've never seen before. I give you one more I give, tip I give to my kids and all young people is uh, the trick to success in your career. And I focus on the word career as opposed to job. Okay. They are mm. very, different, very different. Yeah. Uh, is always do more than you're expected. So uh, whatever that happens to be, whether it's writing a report or running a project or whatever, always try and do a little more than they then the boss is expecting you to do and if you do that you will create opportunities for yourself in your entire career and what is the difference between a career and a job ah great question career is something i invest in it's mine i own it a job is something i do for somebody else yeah great answer <laughs> totally different totally different so what did your career path look like well uh let's see i started working in uh, greenhouses uh, i love plants so i did mm. that for five years uh i got my uh, associate degree in chemistry and went to work for uh, uh, tj lipton 
as an as a uh, uh, quality control uh, technician. Uh, I got my degree, moved up into analytical testing at that company. Uh, kind of got realized that was not where I was going to stay for the rest of my life because, you know, I uh, and and I moved into operations, uh, where I worked for a small group within the company. Uh, I have I've always had a, a knack for engineering. I'm not an engineer, but I can outthink many engineers. <laughs> hmm. Anyway, I built a little plant, a pilot plant, bought the equipment, installed it, ran it, optimized it, produced product. Uh, it, it was it was great. I had to wear like 10 hats. It was wonderful. I absolutely loved it. Uh, I went from there to a flavor company where I did very similar things. And then I went from there into baking because in 1982, uh, I was out of work because the company I was working for folded if people remember 82 was a very bad recession and a lot of companies didn't make it my company didn't make it anyway i was out of work for four months <clears throat> and when a job opening came in a, in a baking company i was like get me that job <laughs> i don't know anything about it although i had baked bread at home anyway i convinced them that i could learn how to bake which i did and i made that my career uh to learn how to bake learn how to do research in baking uh i had a i had so much fun see see my motto has always been work hard be successful and have fun and to me they go in that order meaning without hard work there's no success and without success there's no fun and without fun there's no hard work so it's a yeah. it's a cycle and That's i've had so many people tell me no, 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 you don't get it. We're here to work. We're not here to have fun. And I go, yeah, well, if you want to be a good leader, you make the work rewarding and even fun. Makes a big difference. <laughs> I would imagine. I mean, yeah. It's, so what did you bake? Oh, I, we were, uh, well, I started at Thomas. Uh, I became the English muffin uh, guru. Oh, wow. Um, I uh, developed and installed uh several brand new lines for them. That was quite a challenge because it's very technical and uh, uh, it's a secret. They, we, we call it the Thomas the Secret. It's, it's, a, uh, it's been protected trade secret since 1880. It's not patented and it never will be patented. Uh, it, it's a trade secret. We maintain it as a trade secret. So I'm sworn to secrecy. I can't tell anybody anything. Wow. Uh, I don't. Uh, but it was wonderful, wonderful experience, a great company. And then we, we bought Arnold's, we bought Entenmann's. I got into cake and bread. And uh, and then we were bought out by a company called Bimbo, which is a Mexican company, baking company, biggest baking company in the world. Uh, I got into food safety. And that's a funny story, which I won't tell you now. Uh, so the last 15 years of my career, I was in food safety. Prior to that, I was in research and development or operations uh anyway i got into food safety and of course my goal was always to be the expert and i became the expert in the company to the point where they created a position for me in mexico and moved me to mexico for almost four years oh my gosh Fantastic experience international travel like oh, i've been all over south america europe china oh how cool uh, it was very cool 
I, I literally created a food safety program, a unified, they didn't have one. Uh, they had separate ones in different countries. And when I first started, the thinking was, well, you know, you have FDA in the USA, but FDA doesn't apply in Argentina. So we're not going to follow FDA regulations because we don't have to. I said, yeah, you're right. Except, however, food safety is food safety. It doesn't matter where. We should be following the same standards everywhere. And in some cases, FDA has the best standard. And in some cases, Europe has the best standard and whatever. So we put together a program where we picked the best and most reasonable and effective uh, standards from around the world and created a global food safety program and then implemented it. And that was very rewarding and, uh, and fantastic. And people just uh, took to it. They loved it. They liked the idea. They like, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Let's do it. So when in all of this, <laughs> did you get a patent? What was that about? Well, when I retired, uh, uh, one of my former bosses who we've kept in contact with over the years uh, had been asked to join a team uh, to solve a problem. He's a chemist, by the way, as well. And he listened to their issues and said, well, I don't know. You really don't want me. You need somebody with more practical, hands-on experience. He said, you need this guy, Len. All right. So they invited me to a meeting. I listened to the problem. Uh, they had already spent two years trying to solve it. Uh, they even hired uh, uh, the dean of chemistry at Boston College. And he, he's like, oh, yeah, no problem. I'll have my grad students. They'll figure this out in you know, no time. Well, they didn't. Uh, so they hired me or brought me on the team. And uh, I was able to figure it out in three weeks. <laughs> wow. so, okay, so... That's incredible. So that you figured it out in three weeks and then. And then I applied wow. for a patent and I got a patent. That's incredible. Patent, three patents subsequent to that one uh, on applications of it. And uh, it's a, it, uh, it's carbon 60, which is a very powerful antioxidant. It's been around for 50, 40 years anyway. Uh, they're now finding it in interstellar dust. So it's been oh around. Oh my gosh, that's the universe. so cool. It's not new. It's been around forever. Wow. Um, anyway, it's a very small molecule. Uh, it has some very unique properties, and it's a very powerful antioxidant. So that, spend, that takes a lot of my time. I spent all morning this morning putting together proposals on this. Uh, now, to talk about longevity, we've been looking for someone to help us as a consultant. And we have a partner. And we've talked to several people. And they help a little bit. And not so much. And most of them want money. You want to do that study? Oh, yeah, we'll do the study for you. How much? Oh, $150,000. Oh, great. Well, I don't happen to have that sitting around at the moment. And finding an investor to do this is not so simple. So anyway, my friend George, my partner, found a dermatologist in California who sounded interesting to him. So he did a little work on him, got some information, put together a proposal, uh, sends it to me. My partner's dyslexic, so every other word is wrong. So I got to fix everything, which I know now. So I fix it. And as I'm fixing it, I look this guy up to get his real address and real name because he spelled it wrong, naturally. Turns out the guy is 97 years old. Oh, my gosh. How so I, freaking cool. So I called George and I say, George, you know how old this guy is? He goes, no. I said, he's 97, George. He says, what? 
says, uh, maybe we shouldn't send it. And I says, no, we're going to send it because who knows? We don't get response from half of other people. Mm-hmm. Maybe he'll respond. We sent it to him, an email. He responded in 15 minutes. Call me. That is great. We had a call with him yesterday. This guy is sharp as a tack, fantastic, wonderful. So there's a goal to shoot for. Terms there you go. Vision. Yeah. You know, I want to be yep. 97 years old and have a brain and be as constructive and, you know, contributing like this guy is because yeah. he's awesome. <laughs> you know what I love, too, about that story, Len, that, you know, just dealing with my own kids, watching them in school, the fact that you say my partner, who's this, I'm sure, really intelligent guy, spells every other word wrong it's just that I think is such a great story for kids as they're going through school and maybe having certain challenges that, you know, you don't have to be great at every single thing, you know? In fact, you can't be. Right. You'll, you'll, you'll burn yourself out if you try. So don't even try. So it's better to focus. Pick one or two or three things and focus on those. Uh, that's kind of another thing I've always done in my career is focus on a, on a couple of uh tasks don't do everything where did your um confidence come from because all of the things you're describing take a level of confidence is that just how you were raised are you (laughs) were you you know told you're you got this land when you were little or what what is it where does it stem from (laughs) i'm sure i did get some encouragement my grandmother was wonderful and she uh did a lot to help me to like school because I actually hated school in, in kindergarten. Had a very bad experience. I won't go into it, but uh, tough times, a tough teacher. Uh, so when I went to first grade, my grandmother actually came to the class and talked to the teacher and explained, you got to help this kid learn to like school. Uh, wow, and it. she did. This, this uh, uh, The teacher was outstanding and I will never forget her because she did so much to help me enjoy school. And I've loved school ever since. So that's something I wanted to do with my kids. I wanted to, I wanted them to love school and love to read. And I'm happy to say that I achieved both of those. My son, when he was little, I mean, I'm mean like nine. When he was sick and my, my wife told me, you got to stay home from school today. He cried. <laughs> <laughs> you don't hear that all the time. <laughs> no, he was very upset i gotta stay home yep you can't go to school today oh boy but anyway yeah i my confidence i don't know uh uh in some cases it's from uh people telling me i was good in some cases uh, a good kick swift kick in the behind uh when i didn't meet expectations or you know was lazy my uh, uh, my grandmother once told me she says there's no there's no shame in being poor, only in being lazy. So wow. don't be lazy. So you got that work ethic that came young to you. Yeah. I'm, I've always been the hardest. I find myself, I'm always the hardest worker around. So in high school, I was number 35. I was in the honor class, but I was 35 out of 35. I just wow. made it by the skin of my teeth. So I'm in this class with all these other kids who are way smarter than me. I had to really work hard to stay in that class, which I did. And uh, and the same in, high, in, in college, uh, 
you know, I didn't get everything right away. I don't, I don't work much harder than many of my friends. Uh, and even when I got a career, got to work and, uh, you know, I always come to meetings prepared. Uh, I do my homework. Uh, I may not be the smartest person in the room, but I'm almost always the hardest working person in the room. Uh, and, and that makes a big difference because when they look for somebody to do a job, they say, ah, Elaine, can you do this? Yeah, I'll find a way. Don't worry. I'll get it done. And, and I do. Then I'll figure it out. I'll get some help, but I'll get it done. So all of this that we've discussed does not set the stage to me for your latest book <laughs> for some <laughs> reason. <laughs> so can you share what you've just written, what it's about and why? <laughs> well, it's kind of, in, in a sense, it's connected in that what I do is when I see a need, uh, I look around and I say, boy, People don't know how to take care of themselves. People don't know how to lead properly. And they're missing a lot of opportunities and success that could be theirs if they would, you know, just make a few little changes. Uh, and I kind of came to the same conclusion about prayer. Now, I have a, a strong uh, Catholic upbringing, grammar school and high school. So I probably have a better religious education than most people. I've read a lot of books. Uh, so, you know, that's kind of planted in my brain. Uh, I'm, I'm not a, uh, fanatic about it. Uh, I'm, I'm a spirit. I would describe myself as a spiritual person, but not necessarily a very religious one. Meaning I, I don't like organized stuff. Uh, I don't like being told what to do. Uh, I'd rather, you know, think for myself. So anyway, I started looking around and looking at myself in my own life too and say, you know, uh, what is this stuff? I mean, we pray. Most people do pray. Uh, and we can argue whether the prayer is effective or not. Uh, and what do we get out of it? And uh, I started, you know, thinking about that. And I started reading some books and I said, well, gee, you know, it'd be interesting to go back and read some of the, uh, uh, some of the writings of people who really did know how to pray. Okay. Like St. Francis of Assisi, St. Paul, uh, uh, but but uh, but also Hindu and uh, and Jewish uh, and uh, uh, Arabic uh, le leaders and, and 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 ministers. There's a lot of stuff written over thousands and a couple thousand years, four thousand years anyway. And the fascinating thing about it, I, I discovered, is it's very consistent. Interesting. So whether you're yeah. reading Arabic text or Babylonian or huh. Egyptian or, you know, 14th century Christian. Uh, it's a, it's almost the same message. And the message is don't look for God out there. Look for God in here. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's the whole concept of meditation. Yeah. Looking inside. That's where God exists. In fact, we live inside of god god is everything okay good we don't have to go look for god we don't have to go to a church to find god god's right here god's right with me all the time now that was the first revelation that uh, that was interesting to me the second one was in all these writings hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of texts on the subject not one of them depicts prayer as a petition 
Not Ooh. even one. Okay? Interesting. Prayer is not a petition. We're not asking God to do something for us. In fact, if you read uh, A Course in Miracles, uh, one of the most incredible books I've ever read, uh, <clears throat> uh, Jesus says, if you if if you if you're praying to me because your brother needs help, go help your brother. Okay, yeah, love it. Yep. So the message from all these texts is basically we are the hands of God on this planet. We, if something needs to be done, we need to do it. Why? Because unfortunately, God, for whatever reason, is not going to come down here and fix our problem. Ain't happening. Right. right. We're running around. And then the third revelation is you're looking for heaven. Well, where's heaven? Well, I'm going to be really good and sacrifice and do all these things in this lifetime, hoping to achieve a place called heaven in the next lifetime. Well, what happens if we reach the pearly gates, if they do exist, and we get there and we say, okay, God, I'm ready to go to, go to heaven. I lived a good life. <laughs> and God goes, you fool. You were in heaven. I created heaven for you. It's called earth. It's called the universe. You lived in heaven. And now you're coming here looking for heaven. Eh, you blew it. <laughs> so if every U.S. one of the questions you ask is if I could have a magic wand, it could change something. What I would change is people's perception of this reality. To think this is heaven. And it's up to us to make it heavenly. We can make it good. We can make it bad. We create our own hell. We all could yes. also could create our own heaven. And if we work together, respect each other, love each other, take care of each other, we can do it. If I were good at timing, I would end it there, but I'm not going to. <laughs> it's such a great <laughs> ending note. Um, but. I love going, what's your favorite this? Or what's the best that? Or what's an impactful this? So I'm just going to give you some like rapid fire questions. Uh, favorite, away. one of the things you made me think about since you've been so many places is favorite place, favorite destination. Santiago, Chile. Why? It's gorgeous. Uh, it's metropolitan uh the scenery is unbelievable i mean you're sitting in a restaurant you look out the window and you know uh here in the east coast we're used to seeing hills not so much mountains we don't really have any mountains here but even when you go to vermont well the mountain is over there in chile the mountain is there oh my gosh <laughs> right there that's so cool and it's like like 20, 18,000 feet right there. It's unbelievable. The scenery is incredible. The food is That's fantastic. So cool. And the people are very friendly. And it's a, it's a great city. As a baker, as a, what's your favorite food? Favorite meal. If somebody said, Len, this is it. Tonight, favorite meal. What would you have? Uh, my wife does a really nice job with uh, uh, lamb shanks. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to say Thomas's English muffins. <laughs> uh huh. Um, how about 
you've read so much. Do you have a book that really stands out or one that pops into your mind? I don't want to say favorite to somebody like you who reads prolifically, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't say favorite. I would say life-changing. Okay. Uh, a Course in Miracles uh, is uh, by uh, Shookman, S-C-H-U-C-H, no, no, H-M-A-N, S-C-H, no, S S H U C M A N. It's a fantastic book. It's an unbelievable book. But I love going back and, and rereading some of the uh, classics. Uh, I, I about a yeah, maybe two years ago, I reread Frankenstein, the original, by Mary Shelley. An unbelievable book. Unbelievable. It's so different yeah. than the cartoon character and you know nonsense that we've been fed over the years about Frankenstein. This is a real serious book. Uh, uh, I just read Dracula uh, a year ago. Similar, incredible book. Oh, uh, beautifully, beautifully written. Uh, and they're both from the 18, 1840s, I think, 1850s, somewhere around there. So it's kind of funny because there's no cars. It's all, all right. Horrible. It's really cool. Everything is, you know, uh, based on technology at that time. Uh, but also very forward looking, really cool. These guys had great imaginations and beautifully, beautifully written books. Who wrote Frankenstein again? Did you say Mary Shelley? Mary Shelley, yeah. You know, that's also interesting to me as a woman that in the 1800s, she was making such a provocative piece that was. Um... Oh, you want to hear it? The story is fantastic. Okay. Uh, at 17 years old, she met. Uh, Shelley, who was an English poet, and decided she wanted to marry him. He was already married. She got him, this is a strong person, got him to divorce his wife and marry her at 18 years old. Wow. They used to spend uh, a week or two every summer in Geneva, Switzerland with another poet. So naturally, the two guys are sitting around <clears throat> after dinner, smoking cigars and drinking. And just yakety yakking about their writings and such. Uh, the women are sitting off in the corner, kind of listening, but not involved. Uh, so Mary, Mary Beth Shelley is sitting there listening to this conversation. And the two guys make a bet. We're going to come back in a year. Whoever writes the most compelling book on the human condition wins the bet. Okay. They both proceed to get drunk and forget all about their bet. She doesn't. She goes home and she writes a book. She comes back a year later with Frankenstein. That gives me chills. Gives me chills. She puts it on the table. They read it and they're blown away. They can't wow. even imagine. So they publish it. <clears throat> Only 500 copies in the first publication under his name. It instantly becomes a success. They publish it again under her name. And subsequent copies are all, or publications are all under her name. But wow. here's a 19-year-old girl who wrote one of the most incredible books you will ever read. That's, now, now I have to read it. I, I can't say reread because <laughs> I've never even read it the first time. It's amazing the classics that I actually think in my 
I have this weird thing. When I was little, they used to make these comic books that were these classics, but they were comic books. And every now and then I will think that I read something and I think, oh no, I read The Count of Monte Cristo as a comic book. (laughs) (laughs) Mm. Um, So what, you know, I, I noticed through the book, your book that you have really interesting quotes is there a quote that you kind of go back to or one that you just really have a an affinity for i've been collecting quotes i kind of almost don't know why uh but i have hundreds and hundreds of them and uh i i use them liberally in my books uh for to help make a point but also it kind of breaks uh kind of a little comic relief in a way but very serious intent so yeah, my, one of my favorite quotes, I have several, but one of my favorites is from uh, a guy named Michelangelo. Got it. <laughs> and he said, the greater danger for most of us is not that we aim too high and fail, but we aim too low and succeed. Powerful. That doesn't give you chills. Mm-hmm. My other favorite one is uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson. All things in moderation, especially moderation. Love it. (laughs) Where do you seek um, inspiration? What do you do if you're just not feeling it? Uh, Well, I don't have too much. Well, I I mean, here's what I do. Uh, I make lists. Mm -hmm. So I have a long-term list, things I want to achieve in the next year, two, three, whatever. Uh, and I go to that and I break it down into smaller pieces, things I want to achieve in the next, uh, every day when I wake up, I make a list. What am yeah. I going to get done today? And I kind of make a bet with myself, get it done, get this done, you know, make it reasonable. So it's not crazy, but <clears throat> get these four or five things done today. And when you're done, you get a, uh, a reward and that motivates me. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It could be a cup of coffee. It could be a cocktail with my wife uh you know whatever something small that costs nothing but it motivates me to get that done by five o'clock because at five o'clock if i'm a good boy i get my reward i love it i love it i make this too but i like the reward (laughs) my reward is like i love to check things off i mean i will sometimes purposefully put something on my list that is just you know a gimme oh it's a great experience when you write cross something off the list it feels really good best yeah um and what is your idea of a perfect day oh boy uh a perfect day is uh you know what i i said before i i i believe i actually live in heaven and mm-hmm. getting up in the morning you know doing my exercises uh my stretching having a cup of coffee walking outside and doing some yard work or or whatever to me, that's perfect. Uh, yeah. So a perfect day is, you know, doing what I want to do. Uh, yeah. And that doesn't mean I can't be that way uh, at work. Uh, I was. I did the same thing when I worked. I mean, it wasn't any mm-hmm. different. And what I tell people is if you enjoy your work, you will never work another day in your life. Yeah. <laughs> You know, it's funny, a friend of mine just sent me something this morning and I was reading it and he actually said, 
that exact thing. He was talking about that. Um, so this is my fourth season of this podcast. And this year I'm going into it with the thought of becoming, um, you know, becoming our fullest selves, because, you know, we're always in a constant, I think, evolution, interior evolution. So I'm, I'm struck by the wondering two things, like what gets in our way of becoming or, and what helps us as we become? Is there anything you can speak of that either gets in our way or really helps us as we are experiencing our inner evolution? Absolutely. It's called vision. We need to have a vision for ourselves, for our teams, for our companies, for our country, so on. Vision is what leaders provide it's direction. Got it's not doing the work for anyone. It's telling them, here's where we are now, here's where we want to get to in a year or six months or whatever the time frame is. And now once everyone on the team understands that, they can all align their efforts, even though they're very different, to get to the same point. Everyone knows where we're going. And it's the same with me. <clears throat> I need a vision for where I, where I want to get to in three years, five years. I jokingly say I want to have a 50-year vision. Now, people laugh at me and say, well, good luck with that because you're probably not going to live another 50 years. Well, that's true. I may or I may not. I don't know. But on the other hand, here's what happens. If I don't have that vision, long-term vision, well, then I'm not going to take on those big ugly projects that are going to take a year or two or three or more because you know amanda i'm not going to be here in in five years so why would i want to write another book it's going to take me three years why would i waste my time doing that you know i but if i have a long-term vision the long-term vision says hey there's a good chance you're going to be here yeah go take on that big nasty project because it's worth it and you might make it. And if you don't make it, it doesn't matter. It changes yes. how I behave today. It's true. <laughs> I, I'm with you on that. I, I love it because, you know, I'm always, you're always hearing, well, it's too late to do this. I've always wanted to do this, but it's too late to do this. And, you know, it's kind of like raising kids. One day, my husband and I were talking about something, some kid thing. And I said, well, what else would we be doing? <laughs> we're here. You know, it is about the doing and i i'm going to apply that i love that thinking well james dean and you remember him he died very young tragically in a car crash totally handsome wonderful person great career uh the quote from him was <clears throat> live like you're gonna die tomorrow but dream like you're gonna live forever Thanks so much for tuning in. I love that there's a community of people who, like me, feel connection, finding authenticity and meaning in our lives, and really being intentional about the way we live um, is important. I, I love it. I love that I'm not alone in this, and I appreciate the people who come on the podcast, and I appreciate you for listening. And I want to give a Final shout out to William Aronson, who wrote, produced, recorded the theme song for Soulful Connections. I will be forever grateful 